Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Jonna Emil, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by John Baker, President and CEO at D2L, the creator of Brightspace, which is known as the world's first integrated learning platform. The company's education software is used by nearly 15 million learners around the world in higher education, K-12, healthcare, government, and business. John created the company as a college engineering student in 1999 with the desire to use technology to dramatically transform learning. And I, for one, am looking forward to hearing about what the company has accomplished and what lies ahead as COVID has made online learning a necessity. Thank you so much for joining us today, John. Thank you, Jana. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for what you're doing as well. Thank you. I would love if you could start just by telling us a little bit about yourself, you know, how an engineering student got involved in online learning. Well, actually, I thought I was going to wind up in the healthcare profession, but took an engineering detour. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big detour. (laughs) Yeah. In my case, I started D2L my third year of university, really trying to wrestle down a key problem that I had in my head, which was what's the most important problem that I could solve that would have the biggest impact in the world. And I couldn't think of anything bigger than transforming the way the world learns. <laughs> yeah. So pursued that with passion ever since. Yeah. And, and prior to that, I actually was doing all kinds of work to see if I could pick up some additional skills in university to enter into the medical space. So it's a real pleasure to actually be talking with you today about this, these important topics. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious, talking about what I, in your intro, in 1999, I don't imagine that online learning was huge in that time. So what was that like for you in the beginning? You identified this problem that needed a solution, but was it a difficult thing to try to introduce online learning and, and convince people that this is this is what makes sense and this is where we're going in the future? Yeah, it's hard to believe it's been 21 years. And you're right, it was hard to do this in 1999. And if you can rewind the clock that far, you know, classrooms didn't have internet. And so the concept of teaching in your class online in, in university, even at some of the top universities that I would have spoken to in those early days, was a real hard concept for people to get their heads around. And so, you know, in my case, my brother was doing distance education from one of the top universities in the world, and it was through cassette tapes <laughs> and faxing wow. in or mailing in his assignments. No kidding. Yeah, no, this was a big change, but uh, a lot of persistence. <laughs> And, and eventually, people start to really recognize the power of digitizing and, and leveraging technology to really have a transformational impact on the experience. What was the spark there for you? You talked about how you recognize, like, hey, there's there's a problem, but what really sparked that off? Really, it's, it's, it's that problem finding. So you're going to laugh. As an engineer, you're taught to solve a lot of problems. But finding problems to solve, that was a new new thing for me. And we'd, we had a university professor challenge us to go find a, a problem to solve in, in my third year of university. And uh, in our case, it wasn't to do with D2L. In our case, we settled on reinventing crutches, something that's been you know, a challenge for many people that have uh, you know, had to go on crutches for, for as long as they've been crutches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so you know, we, we won all kinds of awards with our design. You know, we, we made it possible to go up and down stairs took away all the problems that would occur if you're a long-term user of these uh, typical crutches. So it was, it was really fun. And it got me out of, you know, just simply trying to solve problems to go out and look for one to actually go off and pursue. So 
And I didn't think about, you know, what's the small problem to work on? (laughs) Well, what's the biggest one that I could tackle? And back in those days, the internet was a relatively new thing. And, you know, I saw it as an opportunity to really break down a lot of barriers that existed to helping out many, many people get an education they never dreamed possible. You know, you could still say there's lots of barriers to access for high quality education today. But back then, there were way more. And over the last 20 years, we've been systematically trying to knock them all down. So whether that's if you're blind or deaf, we made it possible to participate equally with everybody else in your class using our technology, all the way through to working with some of the original inventors of MOOCs to actually put the extra O in MOOC. <laughs> not sure if you want to thank me for that or not. But, uh, you know, I was like, wow, massive open course doesn't really make sense unless it's online. That's right. <laughs> so, so to me, these were just simply problems to get addressed to really have a, a bigger impact on people's lives. That's why we pursued it. So talk to me about the, the platform. What is that experience like for learners? When I think about online learning and I think about online platforms, there's a, just a flood of different LMSs that, you know, come into my brain. So I'm curious, you know, what is this platform like? I prefer to think of it as like a, a better experience than probably what most people have experienced so far. We've built all the different technologies you're going to need to support transitioning that traditional classroom to a fully online experience. So if you can imagine submitting your assignments online, getting them automatically graded online, taking quizzes, content, discussions, instant messaging, all of the the typical things you would normally see in terms of creating an online experience for a course. And then in our case, we've, we've just tried to make it really accessible on any device. So it works on any mobile device you might have in your hand, whether it's a smartphone or laptop or whether you've got a traditional desktop, just making it really easy for you to access that learning experience with whatever you might have in your hand. And then really importantly, we've we've actually started to try to transition away from just simply digitizing that experience to helping our clients optimize how learning is done and also supporting a real transformation of the actual experience so that we can actually free up time both for the student and for the you know faculty members so that they can have a, a better experience, hopefully, in their educational journey. Yeah, excellent. You know, you mentioned healthcare. You mentioned that you know, that may have been the the track for you and that path for you earlier. Does D2L have a a presence in the medical and healthcare education? We do. We we work with a lot of medical schools. We work with groups like uh, the Association for Nurses across the U.S., Mass General, their Institute for Health Professions, and dozens and dozens of others, and globally. So like, for example, Queensland Health down in Australia or various hospitals all use our technology to support traditional online learning or training for their professions. In our case, we've also done some really interesting work as part of this COVID-19 response to provide some massive open online courses, both things that we've built ourselves early during the pandemic to help get knowledge out, but also to support our clients disseminating knowledge to the broader population. We think about taking an online course in this area as probably more impactful than watching an ad. Yeah. And so so we can help get the right knowledge out to as many people as we can. We're trying to do our little part in, in playing a small role in this. So you mentioned COVID-19. So it's the, sure. the, the hot topic, right? We got it. We got <laughs> to touch on that. <laughs> <laughs> Never, not once. <laughs> how has that, you know, in your opinion and from your perspective, how has that infected online learning, traditional online learning as we think about it? And obviously, 
a lot of things are moving to online. A lot of things are moving to virtual simulation and things like that. How do you, you know, identify what has been impacted by that in online learning world? And will this last, do you think? Where do you see online learning going beyond this point? Well, this has certainly been a catalyst for pulling us forward into the future, in my opinion. I don't yeah. think we're going to go bounce back to exactly the way things were before. This has really sped adoption up. Not all adoptions are equal. Some folks were ready for this transformation, are ready to, to jump into a, a better experience online. In other cases, it's been more of an emergency response mode where we're doing, you know, Zooms all day long. And, you know, clearly we've learned a lot over the last 20 plus years in terms of what makes a great online experience. And we need to help various different organizations globally transition to creating even higher quality online experiences. And, uh, and I know your organization is a big part of that as well, too. But in our case, we think about, well, how do we partner with everybody that we can to drive this change and embrace a better way to do it in the online world? Now, in our case, back in January, February, probably not unlike you, we were watching a lot of the news and, and noticing, well, this is not as minor of an issue as we led on to believe. So yeah. we started preparing. Back in February, I made a bold prediction at the time, which people laughed at, which is I said, we, you know, we could see upwards of a billion students globally at a school. That was before a single school in North America had closed. And in March, we basically had to flip a switch. All of our clients asked to go fully online almost overnight. And that was not easy. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't imagine. sound like it. And so, so in our case, it was, a, it was a pretty big transition for a lot of folks. I was so impressed with how quickly people work together to solve challenges together and make that as smooth of a transition as we, as you can possibly imagine. But, but now it's about how do we do this more strategically? This next wave of embracing technology has to be about making the experience better and to support what we have in the traditional environment. You know, the goal isn't just to embrace technology, it's to leverage the technology to make the educational experience more human. How do we engage students in new ways that's going to make that, that experience better? What does better look like to you? You know, we have so many things that we can do online and in, in online courses and in this online learning experience. But as you think about the future, how do we make that better? Well, for us, we, we try to strive towards making it easier to help students achieve what they want to achieve. <laughs> so yeah. do you want to become a doctor? And if so, how do we make sure that you achieve that, that dream? And how do we make sure that as you graduate, you've got the best possible set of skills so that you're going to be as impactful as you can in the world around you. And, you know, to me, one of the biggest transformations beyond just simply digitizing is freeing up time so that you can pursue your, your passion. So I don't know if you know the old definition, the, the etymology of the word study, but we've lost something over the years. Today, if you look up the word study, I know it's going to sound boring in the dictionary. <laughs> it's, it talks about mental, you know, effort, careful, clinical it's very, well, it's very boring. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but if you actually looked at the old definition, the way it was originally crafted, you know, hundreds of years ago, it talks about zeal, passion, pursuit, desire. Ah. And I think we've, we've lost something in the path that we've taken. I think it's because, you know, a lot of different schools, especially professionals, you know, take the health environment as, a, as just one example. There's a lot more being put on our shoulders every year to learn. And so those competencies, if you will, that you have to pick up, crowd out the other form of study. And so if we can make delivering of education more efficient through, you know, whether it's competency-based or mastery-based models of learning, 
it frees up time and it supports the ability for you know students to pursue research, to pursue their passions. Maybe they're also a musician at the same time pursuing a, a medical career. You know, it gives us the ability to do more with our lives and to pursue yeah. things that we wouldn't have otherwise. That's what I mean. That's what I mean by, you know, getting into a bit more of a transformation. And then hopefully we can graduate doctors. That's just one way, by the way. <laughs> yeah, We can graduate doctors that, you know, are going to have a bigger impact or nurses that have more of an impact with their patients as well, too. So to me, at the end of the day, that's what it's really about. Those are fantastic points. In talking to some of my colleagues in education that are faculty members or deans or directors, there, for some, have been a huge challenge with trying to transition everything online. Yeah. And some of the, the challenge that they've expressed and the concern they've expressed is, I don't know that this is going to be the same learning experience. I don't know that I can replicate what I would do in the classroom physically with my students online. And then maybe they're missing a, a lot of things how do we help those colleagues, right? The faculty members, those are a little concerned about the switch that happens with online learning that this is effective and that, you know, this is where we are now. Yeah. Well, we have 30 years of research showing it's, it can be effective. Yeah. And so I, I think it, it comes down to partnership. So not a lot of faculty have received a great deal of training in terms of how to make that transition to fully online. And so if we can partner together, you know, uh, groups like yours <laughs> along with, yeah. you know, mine, working hand in hand to help faculty make that transition, it makes that job so much easier. And so they know that they've got great instructional design. There's good pedagogy in terms of how, how they're teaching. And then we build in assessment. So, you know, a big part of this is making sure there's not just assessment as an, an exam at the end of the year, right. but being able to help, you know, students with that formative assessment, helping them demonstrate mastery as they're going through the program. And you literally in our system could even see a curve showing you how you're developing on each indicator that you're supposed to be demonstrating mastery of. And so you may not get it right. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay because yeah. the system will tell you, hey, no, none of your students got this. And so it gives teachers and students the ability to adapt and close those gaps and graduate with the, with the skills you're really going to need to enter that, that profession. Fantastic. What do you think would be the next big pioneering development in online education? I've heard some like, you know, mums about maybe we've we've capped out as far as what we can do online and teaching. I want to hear from the expert on that. Yeah, no, I think what I'm actually talking about is the next big thing. I know, I know it feels like it's been here for me for a long time. Yeah. And I remember sitting down with the Macy Foundation with Osmosis and others. By the way, I've got one of your mugs. You can't see it here. Ah, I can see it. That's cool. <laughs> sitting down with the Macy Foundation, mapping out what does that future of the health professional education look like? And what, what I'm talking about is still something that is the future. As we you know, try to embrace these new ways of doing things, it takes time for us to embrace them. And I do think it is a game changer because the studies that I'm looking at show students are learning twice as fast scoring higher on exams, retaining the knowledge for longer. So that fundamental shift towards more of a mastery-based approach does make a big, big difference. And I think it's going to require a lot of help. Other things, you you spoke about technology. So, you know, virtual reality, augmented reality is going to certainly yeah. play a big role. You know, being able to have your portfolio of all of your work follow you throughout your entire life. All, all of these things are going to be big, impactful pieces. But at the core, I think it's really around providing more opportunity to make that educational experience more human through feedback and sort of a pedagogy of engagement 
you know, making sure that we're doing everything we can to help uh, those individual students that we're teaching achieve more than they dream possible. Not what they hope they could achieve, but more than they dream possible. I love that. And if you go way out, I would say we'll be talking a lot more about imagination and creativity and uh, sparking all of those skills. You know, we talk a lot about soft skills today in terms of the education, yeah. but I really think of those as durable skills. I think that's going to be another element, <laughs> you know, whether it's entrepreneurship, you know, your company is an example <laughs> of yeah. going into one field and then demonstrating entrepreneurial ways of helping others through your craft. And so to me, it's making sure that we're doing our best to constantly improve the education we're providing to our mutual clients. That's awesome. I'm really inspired by just your curious spirit and, and the story of, you know, what that spark was for you. And I think about our audience, we have a lot of students and early healthcare professionals, and they listen in on these. And those that are entering the field and, and entering these new roles in their life, they want to meet the moment, right? They want to do something to make a change. And you spoke about, you know, just identifying the problem to solve. But what would be your advice to those that are listening now and they, they're starting to feel that spark and they, they want to do something? How do they start? Like, what would you say to them? Well, don't be afraid to, to pursue it. That is the actual, the old definition of study. <laughs> Pursuit, passion, zeal, desire. These words mean something. And I think uh, follow that spark. See where it takes you. And I actually think one of the tough things, I don't know about you, but pre-mastery-based learning or this uh, competency-based models, lots of people use different terminology attached to this. Yeah. I think many students felt they had to be perfect every time. I don't know about you, but I, I certainly felt the weight of that if I didn't get 100% on something. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and so, you know, this actually is different because it, all of a sudden it shows that you, there's a learning curve. You go from not knowing something to actually demonstrating true expertise in it. Yeah. And so I hope that uh, we can build a better system that encourages people to go explore uh, these passions as well, too. I wouldn't hold back. <laughs> you know, to me, life's too short not to do things you really care deeply about. Yeah, I agree about that. That's inspirational. And I'm excited to see what D2L Brightspace, this online learning management, what this does, because we are here now and it's really exciting to see some advancements that have been made even since I think about the first online course I took years and years ago and what that looks like today. And it's very exciting. And I'm excited to see you grow and put that human touch on. And I think that's going to set you apart from everything. Oh, thank you very much. It's a real privilege to be working in this space. It's a real honor to work with so many great clients all over the world and and also great partners. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, John. Thank you so much for being with us today and, and sharing all this information. You're very welcome. And again, for the students that are out there, just go pursue that passion. <laughs> the world really needs you. You're going to have a real big impact on many people's lives. So thank you for doing that. And, and don't give up when you know, things get hard. It's not an easy journey to go pursue these things. We're all here cheering you on. There's no question. That's right. Awesome. Thank you so much, John. You're welcome. Have a great day. I'm John Emil. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.